Well, good morning. It's certainly good to be with you all today and to share in God's Word. When I was thinking about preparing for this, I had thought perhaps we could ask the elders to stand up while they listen to this sermon. Because this is the message from God to those of you who are leaders in the church. I'm not going to do that. But I certainly think that God can use his word to help us. Now, often when a person speaks at the press club, the chairman of the day will introduce the speaker and tell you a whole lot of guff about that person. But when they've finished, you don't really know much about that person, about their nature, who they really are. Now, when Paul introduces himself today, it's his self-introduction. And what do you expect him to say? Is he going to talk about his heritage, his academic qualifications, his church planting, his mission? He's not going to do that. Now, if I'm going to introduce myself today, what am I going to tell you? Well, I could say I was a sheep shearer, a gun shearer. In an hour working day, I'd average one and a half minutes per sheep. That's over 300. I'm a married person. I taught at a pastor's conference in Zambia. We've done four ministry trips to Bermuda. We're missionaries in Italy. But what does that tell you about me? doesn't tell you anything, really, does it? About who Keith Graham is. Now, when Paul speaks about himself today in these verses, we find out what makes him tick, who he is as a person. And so he says, I've got an attitude, I've got status. I serve the Lord with humility. So he doesn't give you a whole list of things about which people take pride in. No, no, he says, I serve God with humility. He knows who he is before God. He's not puffed up by his role and by what he's been able to do, no. See, he imitates the Lord Jesus. Jesus humbled himself. And we are told to follow his footsteps. Paul was a humble person. But more than that, he says, I've served the Lord with tears. He put his heart into it. Emotionally, he was involved with those he served. And it brought him to tears. And then he says, I've had to endure all sorts of things that have been brought to me through the plots of the Jews. But he says, I didn't throw in the towel, I didn't give up, I didn't walk away. I didn't say this is too hard. I didn't do that. But more than that, he says, I didn't covet anybody's money, or their gold, or their silver, or fine clothing. It's been our privilege to stay in different people's homes, and some of them are filthy rich. And often people want to give us advice, ask us for advice. 
There's a lady in my home church in New Zealand. She's a spinster. She's a millionaires. She's asked me what to do with her money. So did I say write me a check? There's a book written about a priest here in Australia. The book's called The Thornbirds. And his job on behalf of his church, he was posted in a country area, was to worm his way into the lives of widows. And through that to get them to leave their property to the church. The temptation to covet. We remember in Bermuda, we met a lady by the name of Elizabeth. And she followed us around everywhere I preached over those three weeks. Now she was an artist and her husband was an artist and he was deceased. And she wanted me to crate up all these paintings that he had done and send them to Sotheby's in London. And she said, I'll pay you. And you get 10% of what each painting is paid for. Now what would you do? If you're in my shoes, what would you do? God's called us to teach his word, to preach. So what do you think I should have done? I could have made a lot of money if I'd done what Elizabeth asked. But I didn't do that. It's not about money in terms of ministry. Now, Paul says here about the way that he's working, his work ethic. He says, I'm happy to work free of charge. He was at Ephesus for three years. That's a long time to be in one place as a church planter. But he says, I worked on the side so I could provide for my own needs and my co-workers. I wasn't a burden to you. I didn't bludge on the system. We were asked to help a church here in Melbourne as a consultant. And Russ said to me, what are you going to charge? Given your experience and your background and your training and so on, what fee are you going to charge? What's a consultant's fee these days? Our current government has spent a huge amount of money on consultant fees. Up near Avoca, because of a storm, a crossing there got washed away. And normally it's a dry river. Anyhow, they had to put a new crossing in. It's just going to be concrete, right? So they got a, a consultant in to find out about one little frog. Thousands of dollars. Then they got another consultant in to talk about a little mouse that lived there. So thousands and thousands, millions of dollars actually spent on consultant fees just to put a slab of concrete in the base of the dry creek. So what's a consultant worth? So I said to Russ, I'm happy for you to give us an honorarium. It wasn't the same as the consultant's fees, I can tell you. But that doesn't matter. 
But not only that, Paul says, this is my example. I'm content to work hard, so I've got something to give. Now, often folk in ministry will fall down in one of three areas. Drink. I hope Josh is not drinking. But two other areas, their morals and money. There's a pastor, one of our churches here in Victoria, and he handled the finances. He counted the offering, he did the banking, he paid the bills. But he also put everything in his own pocket. He bled the church financially dry. Paul said, I'm not like that. I work hard so I've got something to give. Another person said to me, another reason folk fall down in ministry is they're giving. Ask them when they stop giving. Then Paul says, nobody can point the finger at me in having neglected them. I have been open and I've taught every person. And I'm innocent of the blood of all of you. You can't say to me, you never prayed for me, you never visited me. You don't know anything about me. Paul says, you can't say that to me. But more than that, he says, I've faithfully presented to you the message of life. He hadn't broken down in any area. And so he said, I didn't shrink back from declaring for you the whole counsel or will or purpose of God. There are no areas in this book that Paul didn't teach. He's quite happy to teach Daniel and Ezekiel. Our home church at present is going through First and Second Kings. I guess that's everybody's favourite books, right? But you see, it's part of God's word. And God says in Scripture that every part of his word is profitable, it's useful to teach us, to train us, etc. So Paul says, I didn't shrink back from teaching anything that was going to help you. Now, there's stuff in this book that can be embarrassing. In our culture today, if I'm going to talk about sexuality, which the Bible does, and I've got buddies sitting here who are offended by what God says in Scripture, they can go out and the next minute I can find somebody knocking on my door and charging me with all sorts of things. Paul says, I wasn't afraid to teach any subject to anyone at any time. I'm not sure if this is going to work. Oops. Theoretically it should. No, it's not going to. It doesn't matter. It was a video where Jesus calls his first four disciples. He says, come, I will make you fishers of men. Then he takes the disciples on six fishing trips. So he's only got four disciples, about 18 months into his ministry, 
and he takes these four men, two sets of brothers, on fishing trips. And the first place he said we fish for men is in churches, in the synagogue. So they go to the synagogue in Capernaum, and there's a man there who's possessed by a, a demon, and Jesus heals him. So religious places are places to preach. Then he goes to the home of Peter's mother-in-law. She's sick. So that's in homes and families that we are to preach and fish for men. And then the whole town gathers at the door. So the message is for the whole town. And then Jesus leaves there and he goes out and he finds a leper. So the outcasts, the people who are shunned by society, the people that are neglected by society, are where we should fish for men. And so on. Then he comes back to Capernaum. And there's a guy there who's a tax collector. He worked at a toll booth. Matthew, and he says, come follow me. And Matthew says, okay, I'm going to put on a banquet for all my friends. And so Jesus speaks to them. You see, workplaces, work associates, are where we should fish for men. This is what Paul says. I taught you publicly. Recently we were in Rome, and we came down the Spanish steps there. Now, years ago we had an open air there on the Spanish steps. It was a hot summer's day, and they showered us with water and tomatoes. Water was great because it was so hot. But see, Paul says, I taught you publicly. And in Rome, we taught there, we taught in parks and so on. Then he says, I went to the synagogues, the Jewish places of worship. Then the hall of Tyrannus, public hall. Then he says, I taught you house to house. See, there's no place too insignificant or too great or too challenging for Paul to preach. He says, I'm happy to go everywhere. At the result of his preaching in Ephesus and the disciples there, you know, the uh, silversmiths and so on, are in an uproar because they're losing trade. People are turning from Artemis or Diana and they turn to the Lord. So their whole belief system was collapsed. And there's a massive riot that took place there in the amphitheatre. You see, it was like a red light district in Ephesus. If you've been there, you'll know where the wharf was, and from the wharf, there were embedded in the pavement footprints that led you to the house of prostitutes. That's what the place was like. And the gospel comes, and it turns the city upside down. Now Paul says I'm consistent in who I speak to, both to Jews and also to non-Jews. Now I wonder if you're a racist. Are there folk that you'd sooner not go and share the gospel with because of their ethnicity, of who they are? Now I'm a foreigner here, I'm a Kiwi, I was born in another land. Perhaps you wouldn't come and speak to the Kiwis. We've stopped eating people there now. We're not cannibals. But are there 
people that you're reserved about sharing the gospel with because of who they are. Paul says, I don't care who you are. And he said the same message. Repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus. John Stott in his commentary on Acts says, Paul shared all possible truth with all possible people in all possible ways. And again he wrote, Paul taught the whole gospel to the whole city with his whole strength. Now that was true of Paul. Now we live in a city here that needs the gospel. In a suburb that needs the gospel. But are they hearing it? Or is it only inside church walls that they can hear the gospel? That wasn't true for Paul's ministry. And then Paul could say, I'm led by the Holy Spirit. Folk were saying to him, don't do this, don't do that, don't go here and so on. He says, the Holy Spirit is compelling me, urging me, I have to go to Jerusalem. Now that's a dangerous place to go to for Paul. He said, I'm not sure what's going to happen. But he said, I am sure that that's where God wants me to go. Now when the Lord Jesus was about to go to Jerusalem, the disciples says, don't go up there, it's dangerous for you. Don't go. He says, I have to go. And he went and of course, that's where he was crucified. So Paul says, I'm a spirit-led man. But not only that, he says, I listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying. It's saying that when you go, you're going to be imprisoned and you're going to suffer. It's going to be tough. When we were having a crusade in Malta, we'd gone there to help the assembly there and we are visiting house to house. We were giving each household a copy of one of the Gospels in Maltese, as well as in English, an explanation of John chapter 3, and an invitation to write in for a Bible study course on John's Gospel. So I was out visiting on my own. Most folk worked in pairs. As I'm doing this, next minute, a policeman's beside me. He said, will you come quietly with me, please? So I went with the policeman. I was being arrested for what I was doing. He thought what I was doing was illegal. Well, in 1972, when Mintoff became the Prime Minister of Malta, part of his platform was religious freedom. Because up until then, the only place you could get married was in a Catholic church. So that if you became a Christian and wanted to marry a Christian and not get married in the Catholic church, you had to go to Europe somewhere. That's what happened. So he was convinced that by doing what I was doing, I was breaking the law. So I asked him to ring up the chief of police in the capital, and he would find out that what I'm doing is not illegal. Now, I was held there for a long time. 
It took them ages before they would make that phone call. Now Paul says, it's going to be tough for me. They let me go in the end, but said, stop learning what you're doing and get out of this town. So Paul says, his attitude to his life. He says, I don't think my life had to be preserved at all costs. When we were going to Africa, to Zambia or to Ghana, my GP who's a Christian says, listen, Keith, I'm concerned. I'm allergic to anti-malarial tablets. And, of course, some dogs there have rabies. He was concerned that I might either be bitten by a dog or get malaria, which could be life-threatening. So he gave me his personal phone number. So we did two trips to Africa. We spent a year in, sorry, a month in Ghana and three months in Zambia. And I didn't get bitten by a mosquito and no dog bit me. So when we went back to see our GP, he said, now listen, Keith, you better pray God send somebody else to Africa. I don't think you should go a third time. Now, what's your attitude to your life? In terms of serving God, does it have to be preserved at all costs? Are you willing to die for the Lord Jesus? To give your life to that? So Paul talks about his ambition. He says, I'm committed to doing what God called me to do. The day Paul became a believer, God says, this is what I want you to do. Now, he didn't tell him the whole plan, but progressively, he unfolded what he wanted Paul to do. Now, that was true for me. I became a Christian in the mid-teens. And the night I became a believer, God impressed on my heart, Keith, I want you to teach the Bible. I didn't know what that meant or where or how, but I knew that that's what God wants me to do. And that's still true. The fact that I'm past 65 makes no difference. Got nothing to do with birthdays. So Paul says, I've received this commission from the Lord and I'm to bear witness to the gospel of God's grace. He could say, I was a murderer. They don't come worse sinners than me. But God saved me. And my job now is to show you that no one's beyond God's hand. If God can save a Paul, he can save you. He can save your relative, your kids. See, they don't come worse than Paul as a sinner. So he's a great trophy of what God can do in a person's life. And then he talks to the elders more personally. He says, pay careful attention to yourself. Now we need to do that. 
to pay careful attention to yourself. When I was preaching in LA and I was speaking at a church, a big church, and after the message, Catherine and I went to the door and we had an elder and his wife standing at the door on one side of us, another elder and his wife standing on the other side of us. And so we were greeting folk as they were leaving. And one lady came up to me and starts to strike me. Oh, I love your accent. Now it's broad daylight. It's the middle of the day. There's two elders beside me and my wife. And here's this woman stroking me. Now Paul says, be careful. Pay careful attention to yourself. Martin Luther said, in terms of temptation, it's like the birds. They fly through the sky. But you shouldn't let them make a nest in your hair. Now, I never let that woman make a nest in my hair. No way. But then he says, not only take care of yourself, be careful, but also give great attention to the flock of God. To care for God's sheep. Because you're a guardian of them. You're an overseer. But more importantly, it's God's church. It's God's people. See, Jesus died, shed his blood for Montmorency Community Church. That's a pretty high price on your head. Jesus died for this church. And those who are in leadership of this church need to be aware of that. These are God's people. They are precious to God. The church is his. You know, often when you go to a pastor's conference or something, you're asked the question, how many people have you got in your church? Well, actually, the answer in terms of me is none. See, the church is not mine. The church belongs to the Lord Jesus. He's the head of the church. And that's its value. And these elders are to be aware of that. Then he says, be aware that fierce wolves will come among you, not sparing the flock. And that happens. There's church after church that are wrecked by somebody coming in and wrecking havoc because of who they are and what they teach and so on. And it destroys it. But then he says, not only is there external danger, but internal. He said, somebody's going to come up in this church and they're going to twist things, perverse things, entice people to become their disciples. And I've seen this happen again and again. One of the churches here in Melbourne, a guy was there as the pastor and he stood up one Sunday morning and he gave the message. He said, okay, the church is closing as of today and we're all going to go down the road and meet so-and-so. See, that's a betrayal of trust. And what he did was wrong. 
Beware of the danger from the inside. So Paul said we're to be alert, vigilant. And he says, I'm not a nine to five preacher. He said, I was with you for three years. And I taught you night and day. And he said, I cried over you. Some of you broke my heart. Because of the way you didn't respond to God. Are you like one of those people? Are you breaking the leadership's heart? Because of who you are, your lifestyle, your priorities, what you're doing after dark. Paul says, I shed tears over you folk. Night and day, I cared for you. So there's things to avoid in terms of conduct, etc. But then Paul is going to commend them to God. That was important. He says, I commend you to God. It's God's church. And I commend it to him. And to the word of his grace. Why to the word of his grace? Somebody has said, this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. See, it's not just words on a page. The Bible is to us, it's bread, it's meat, it's like a hammer, it's like a sword. It strengthens us, encourages us, comforts us, directs us, heals us. That's why Paul says, I commend you to this book. It's going to give you muscle and burn you up, build you up as a Christian. That's important. Because this book is able to give us an inheritance amongst those who believe. I can remember one of my folk that I was on a board with or linked with, and he and another person who were part of that board, conspired together with a third person who wasn't to actually drain all the funds of Emmaus Bible College where I was CEO and principal. And I got a call from the bank manager. He asked to see me. And he said, are you the CEO of Emmaus? I said, yes. He said, how much money have you got in the building fund? And I could tell him, and that was the tax deductible fund. How much money... Have you got in the library fund, which was also tax deductible? And I could tell him within a cent. How much money have you got in the working account? And I could tell him. Well, he said, actually, he says, you've only got one dollar left in each of those accounts. How much money have you got in the, in the investment account? And I said, I don't know. I've never seen a statement. But it's over a hundred grand. Well, he said, that's been drained as well. He said, By rights, I should report you to the authorities. You've got until Friday to rectify that. I left there and I was one angry person, I can tell you. 
I thought, who on earth would do this? Well, I made a phone call and I hit the jackpot. That that person with the two others had done this. So I told them that I've been to see the bank manager. I also had sought legal advice. We had until Friday to rectify things. The working account and the building fund and the library fund was reinstated by the end of the week. But not the investment account. And if the college had insisted on getting that back, one of those persons said you'll get it back maybe 50 cents in the dollar. You see, he was part of a a scheme where you put money in one end and people were paid out of the other. All of that money was never repaid while we were still there. I have no idea whether I'm going to see those men in heaven. I don't know. I went to visit one of those men years later. He was dying of cancer. I knocked on his door and uh, he came to the door and he said, I never thought I'd see you again on earth. So I know that you're not well, you've got challenges, I've come to pray with you. Next minute his wife is there. They wouldn't let me pray or come in to pray with them. Now, I don't think that person was very sanctified by this book. Whether he's in heaven or not, that's God's call. But this book is important in each of our lives. And so Paul, when he finished speaking, he kneels down and he prays with them. How important is prayer in our lives? Just to pray with people. We're at a camp in New Zealand. Get a phone call from Australia. The lady on that phone, at the end of that phone call was very, very upset to tell me that her son had committed suicide and prior to that he'd shot a policeman. She's here. We are there. What can you do? You can pray with them, and we did. And over the course of the next 24 hours, there were phone calls going backwards and forwards whether we should leave and go back to Melbourne here or not. You see, it was important to pray. It's important to pray with people. So Paul has left us a living legacy. He says, you know how I lived? You know what I taught? You know how I work with these hands? I'm not too sure what's going to happen tomorrow. But I do know it's going to be a tough road ahead. You're not going to see my face again. Some of those walls are going to come in from the outside and from within. You're going to have issues. But he prays for them. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the legacy that Paul has given us of how to serve you night and day with our whole heart. Put our heart and soul into what we do for you. We thank you that Jesus is the head of the church. He is Lord of the church. He's given himself for it and he might redeem it. And so we pray that your word might only not just challenge us, but to help us to live our lives following in the footsteps of Jesus in this week ahead. This we ask in his name. Amen.